Hello, everybody. It's, um, I was just going to look at my computer to, uh, it's Thursday the 6th. Sorry, I just remembered that, and I'm installing new drivers on my, uh, computer. Um, wonderful. Your PC ran into a problem. That's not a good thing. We'll restart for you. Okay. I was just installing new video drivers for my computer and it took a dump on me. So that's not a good thing when you see something like that with new drivers. I should have installed, it gave me the choice between optional versus uh, optimal. And uh, the opt optional was a, a version more advanced. But um, I should know. I should know. But I still do it anyways. Try out the, uh, try out the cutting edge stuff rather than staying with the good old tried and true, but in any case, um, so I've been up here in Portland for, it's been a couple days now, I uh, got up on Tuesday and, um, you know, took it easy yesterday, ended up posting that podcast and, um, really just kind of like, uh, relaxed and got settled in and everything, been, uh, trying to help out around the house and everything, ended up going through and cleaning the kitchen, my mom hasn't, uh, hasn't really been taken care of of things with uh, as much as she should with the you know with my father in the hospital and the constant back and forth that they've got going on with that and um, yeah so I went through and cleaned the kitchen it's kind of funny as a homeless dude you know the one weird thing that I ended up uh, realizing is I ended up please your hardware settings have changed please reboot your computer okay yes I am um, so yeah, I just uh, ended up going through like a storm and, you know, cleaning a whole bunch of things up and everything. And like I was saying, you know, the one weird thing about being homeless is I think, um, I think one of the things it's shown me is, I mean, I've been through in the last, since April of 2013, I ended up taking off and going south of the border at that point from Tijuana all the way down to uh, the coast or to, uh, to Panama, to the border of Panama and back over a year's period of time. In that period of time, I ended up learning what I consider some pretty valuable skills, you know, self-sufficiency for one, but also self-sufficiency at the same time, uh, inter interdependence on on charity, you know, so basically starting to realize that uh, I need um, other people, you know, in my life. And uh, before I had spent a great deal of time trying to trying to be independent and and trying to get away from this thing called codependency and uh, I I had identified codependency with as a uh, as a form of weakness and had really gotten to the point of where I was really unhealthy with my mindset and everything over the years so one of the things I developed over the years is um, basically eliminating what I consider or uh, diminishing, I can't say completely eliminating, diminishing the desire for complete independence and basically realizing that um, there's parts of this world I do love, absolutely love. You know, the community, the family, and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and there's parts that I certainly don't, you know, such as the ghetto nasty shit and um, threats and, you know, feeling like somebody's you know, flat out just willing to, you know, very quickly result to deadly force and everything and realizing that it's just like, you know, for, for no reason, for absolutely no reason, it's just 
So for me, it's just like I've realized that there's a couple things in contrast, you know, there. And especially being back here now. Oh, come on, please, computer. There we go. Sorry, same time I'm doing this. There we go. Looks like it started off successfully. Let's see if it actually did the drivers right. Nope, it didn't. Or it might have, let's see. So I installed the newest AMD drivers. I tried getting a Fortnite to go, and Fortnite ended up quickly taking a dump on me. Um, when I try, I, it, not necessarily taking a dump, but it just ran horribly. So, but um, of the things that I learned while being homeless, uh, a certain regiment that I had had that I didn't really have as much before, but I certainly have more of now. You know, the regiment of normally when I went to work in the morning. Um, before it was, I would go to my kitchen, um, pour myself a, a bowl of cornflakes. Um, typically, I didn't put any sugar or anything in it. Um, I would make myself a copy, and you know, usually use it, it for the last couple of years. It had been the Keurig machine, and uh, you know, just basically used a fat-free or uh, or two percent milk and everything, and that was my breakfast. So I'd have one bowl of cereal, a big bowl, mind you, but it was definitely one bowl. You know, for lunch, um, a lot of cases, I, at the same time I was eating my breakfast, I would be uh, making my lunch, and my lunch consisted of on 11 grain or 7 grain bread, I'd throw um, some a little bit of mayo along with uh, some spicy Dijon mustard along with a buffalo. One of my favorites was the buffalo chicken. Um, they had a buffalo chicken that was uh, sauce on that was mixed in on the boar's head, uh, turkey and chicken. So I ended up using that quite a bit. Um, or a flavored, or just a standard roast beef, or some, one of the better boars had a roast beef and everything. Combine that with a pepper jack cheese, and that, you know, just throw that on a sandwich, and that was my, uh, that combined with, typically I'd throw some carrots and celery sticks in there, and that was my break or my lunch. You know, and, t and most of the time I was eat I was actually, you know, going through and plowing right through lunch and not even taking a lunch. I just continue just eating at right there at my desk and doing whatever it is that I, that I had to do and everything. So that was uh, that was one thing, and you know, for dinner, it typically consisted of you know a lot of cases of me making whatever it is I felt like. Sometimes it was chicken, sometimes it was you know spaghetti, sometimes it was you know I try to keep the carb count lower and everything. Um, and in addition, I always had greens, and I always tried the whole you know food pyramid balance thing, and uh, just basically ended up having like you know. It would be green. I'd have some greens in there, so it would be broccoli or, you know, green mashed potato or green beans or, um, you know, something like that. Some, sometimes, rarely, asparagus. And then I'd have a starchy substance, you know, like corn or something like that. And I know this is really terrifically boring and everything, but, you know, and a, a mashed potatoes or something like that, too, along with whatever protein that I had. So typically it was like a roast beef or, no, most of the time it wasn't roast beef. More, more, most, most of the times it was a chicken or even a fish. I was having like tilapia or um, salmon or something like that or even shark sometimes that I'd eat whatever and, you know, and have myself a nice anywhere between 6 to 12 ounces of, of meat and everything with that. So that was my regiment that I had before, and every day I would go for a workout in between six to six to eight. You know, so I'd, I'd get done with work and I'd go straight to the gym, and I'd spend an hour and a half, uh, an hour minimum, um, up to an hour and a half at the gym. 
And um, then, you know, particularly when I had the cocaine issue and everything, I would actually go for, you know, go and, uh, you know, end up a lot of times actually start the cocaine up right when I, right when I got back from the gym and end up staying up until about 3 o'clock in the morning. Wash, rinse, repeat, do the same shit the next day and everything. So this this was my standard, my normal life that I live for, um, really, I mean, being single and everything from about 2006 to about 2011. Now, sure, I had the girlfriends that were in there, you know, so Jackie would come over on occasion or Kenna would come over, um, you know, on occasion. So, sure, I had a, a lot of people that, uh, you know, would come over and do things and break this typical schedule. And the typical schedule, particularly on Friday, Friday and Saturday nights, were completely blown away. So, I would t- end up going to the movie or would, you know, when Jackie would come over showing up, uh, we'd, you know, end up just basically, in a lot of cases, just bullshitting and partying all night long. So, you know, there was a times that it broke. But in a general sense, I had a very, very strict, uh, you know, regiment that I had going on pretty much a five- or six-day basis and everything. Well, I developed a, an even stricter regiment when I was being homeless, too. You know, so the regiment consisted of going and setting the tent up at, uh, at 9 o'clock. You know, I'd make it a fact to leave at 8, you know, so I ended up doing that at 8 o'clock. And 9 o'clock, um, I'd have my, my tent, by the time 9 came, I'd have my tent set up, and I started realizing the time was pretty structured, you know, when I started doing the podcast and realizing. And between 9 and 9.15 is when I finished, and when I had everything set up, when I had taken out the trash and, you know, went through and wash, rinse, repeat, do the same thing to the next morning. You know, deconstruct it all, and by the time, you know, I end up uh, rolling into Starbucks, it would be 8.30 to 9.15 that I'd end up arriving, and it was the same thing. So, surprisingly, I was actually, you know, came to develop a, a pretty structured schedule and everything, and, you know, coming here to the house and everything, the first thing that I started realizing was, oh my God, the smells. I mean, all the smells of a typical household, it just uh, kind of blows you, blows you away. My mom and dad have two animals and everything, too, and my brother's in the midst of uh, doing a complete conversion for the flooring, and he's, uh, he's ripped up all the flooring, so the flooring's in transition, and one of the dogs has a, uh, has a peeing issue, so despite the fact that they've tried quarantining her, now she's actually in the back room just barking up a storm back there. Um, my brother's been going through and just basically ripping up all the flooring, and uh, now they're putting in this uh, this wood. It's a really nice wood that they've got on the floor that um, they're putting out throughout, to, in part to basically make it so where this dog, that uh, she's 15 years old, she's older, and she's got a problem with incontinence, and so they're just uh, they're going through and more or less, um, you know, doing redoing the flooring, and uh, you know, just. The smell that hit me when I first walked in was definitely one that was intermixed with a little bit of urine, along with it. my mom can't smell jack shit. She's lucky for that, you know, because the last uh, last couple days days the dogs have uh, been going a little bit crazy and everything. As as my brother's uh, been lifting up the uh, floor just to expose some of the regions and everything, and it's just like, oh my god. So we ended up fixing some of those smells pretty quick and. Um, I ended up running through the kitchen, just doing some of that stuff and everything. And you know what it's doing very quickly is just making me realize that um, I've come up here at the right time. You know, not just for me, but for my parents. You know, my uh, my mom asked me today. Um, you know, she was going down to uh, um, over to go see my father today, and uh, she asked if I wanted to go there and play cards. And just from memory, some of the card trips that we had in the past, they. 
I mean, me and my dad, we, you know, when it comes down to cards, we're not, uh, we don't always see eye to eye, eye, to eye on things. And uh, particularly when he's in a grumpy mood, and I'm just like, um, I'd seen him yesterday, and, you know, we ended up hanging out for a little while and everything, but uh, I was just like, um, no, I'll stay back, and I'll take care of the house, and give me a call, and let me know what you want me to make, and I'll, I'll make it for dinner. You know, but uh, for me, it's just like, you know, being here isn't just for being here for my father, but it's also being here for my mother. And um, I, I'm realizing, you know, they had uh, one of their friends of the family that was over today, Sue, and, you know, she's, she's just like, you're, you're out here at the perfect time and everything. My mom had just spent um, a great deal of time over in Colorado. Her brother just recently passed away, a uh, long bout of, um, that he was dealing with with cancer and everything. And uh, my brother was out there helping with that. And my brother, you know, Jason, he's he's actually been pretty good about those kind of things, helping out with the family and and doing things like that. That uh, to some degree, he's capable of doing a lot more of the of the hands-on type help and everything. And that I've really never been great at and everything. And I'm glad that he's around and everything. But you know, it comes down to it. It's just like I'm realizing that uh, me being here, it's um, I mean, I need to be here. You know, plain and simple. You know, I, I was done, absolutely done, and I didn't like psychologically where things were starting to head, you know, with me being out there and everything. Um, you know, just basically seeing the state of conditions here, I can see that I'm needed, you know, that uh, that there's some things that I can offer to this mix and everything to basically help, you know, help with the family in general, do some of the errands, help clean up the place a little bit, and just basically do some things that uh, make it so where I'm feeling like I'm I'm benefiting, and, and at the same time, I've already got my little spot towards the end of the dining room table with a big 60-inch TV across the way, and I'm sitting there watching uh, Iron Man 3 off and on behind there. I had it on Star Trek all day today, and Star Trek with uh, one of my favorite episodes with Q was just on. It was the one where Q loses uh, his mortal power or his um, his uh, powers, and he becomes immortal for or mortal just for a period of time and everything. And all of a sudden, all the species that uh, hated him, um, particularly one nasty one, ended up coming out and attacking him while he was uh, in his mortal stage and everything. And it was just like it was one of the better episodes that I I ended up seeing, and. Um, that I've I've seen probably at least a dozen times and everything. So, but yeah, just a matter of the right time, you know. I mean, being out here, it's uh, in Portland. It. I was commenting to my brother. Um, he ended up taking me to uh, the Department of um, Social Health Services, and uh, it's a place. It, it's basically where the food stamps and the welfare type stuff and everything's handed out and everything. So they ended up taking me to that today, and uh, as we, or he ended up taking me to that while my mom was actually out with uh, one of her friends, with Sue as a matter of fact, and we ended up uh, going over there, we were going to sign me up, and we learned the hard way when we walked in, brand new facility by the way, um, I'll get into that in a second, but uh, as we walked in, we ended up seeing things posted all over the place that uh, today was not a good day, they had a, uh, a complete um, organization-wide meeting that uh, basically put them on skeleton crew for today and it just basically makes it so I can't sign up and you know with real agent and everything today so we're probably going to go back in tomorrow but what I was going to say was comparing the facilities um, 
The one thing I noticed about going into California's EBT offices, there was a, the primary one that I went to was over in uh, Sun Valley. So it was off of uh, Glen Oaks and Tuxford. And um, it, it's almost like it's, it's created in such a way to absolutely insult anybody who actually goes and leverages state services and everything. So not only, I mean, it, not only is it beyond ghetto on the interior and everything, but um, the personalities and the attitudes and everything are absolutely reflective of California's insistence on, um, on profit at all costs and everything and basically punishing people, you know, who, who ask for assistance and that kind of stuff. Now, I saw this repeatedly when I was, you know, homeless, no one asked for services. So whether or not it was something called rapid rehousing or it was um, family housing support, um, or as various organizations, nonprofit organizations that claim to help and everything. Uh, Pride was one of them. Um, police pointed me to a couple, and uh, various organizations and everything constantly had me um, had me going from one place to another, and I could never ever a actually get real support, you know, for some of the stuff that I was actually trying to achieve and everything. There, it was really weird. It was consistently weird, you know, to the point that I noticed the same thing online, where I could apply for jobs. And no matter how many different jobs I applied for, no matter how many different variations of the resume I applied for, um, I would consistently get uh, jack shit for responses, the canned, um, hey, thank you for responding type responses and everything, which absolutely got me nowhere. But when it came down to it, the lack of support from a state level and everything um, was extremely just um, non-existent. It was, you know, to the point of being weird non-existent. So... Anyways, coming up here to uh, to check out uh, Vancouver's uh, Vancouver, Washington's uh, new facility and everything. Brand new building. Um, you know, it's a nice looking facility. It's a brick and mortar type establishment. Brand, you know, and it's uh, it's got cushioned seats. It's it's got a nice interior. And while I don't doubt that there could have been a time, maybe 40 or 50 years ago, that uh, the facility down in, in Glen Oaks could have been, you know, a state-of-the-art type facility and everything, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're not updating these facilities, you know, or taking the opportunity to actually relocate to a new facility or something like that, you know, then it will degrade and erode over time and everything, particularly when, yes, you do have probably the the less um, savory element coming into these ghetto places anyways, but there's still also some good people that come into it. Uh, and I'm not going to try to differentiate myself, but I am going to differentiate myself. There are some people that are respectable. Now, I'll absolutely say, without hesitation, um, I at this point have realized that um, that there that there is such a thing as as discrimination that goes on towards uh, towards people that are lower class and homeless and that kind of stuff. But I also go so far to say there's those that are homeless or that uh, that are actually income deprived and everything, which um, in in themselves they set them up themselves apart from your normal from your normal uh, predictable um, ghetto type homeless and everything in such a remarkable way, you know, and it's especially being homeless myself for as long as I have, I've realized how how different they are, you know, than, the, than those that are actually, you know, really kind of appear to want to be homeless, you know, kind of appear to enjoy the whole ghetto nature, you know, and the whole, you know, act that uh, seems to be something that they enjoy putting on in a lot of cases, 
you know, so what I'm saying is it's just uh, basically, you know, there's some people, maybe I would go so far to say probably at least 60% of the people that are homeless, um, they either feel like they have to put on an act and actually act like they're ghetto or something like that, you know, in order to basically fit in with the rest of their peers or something, or um, that's just how they are. You know, I mean, f the, f the fact of the matter is these people in a general sense, they they tend not to care about other people and not only that, but they also tend not to care about themselves. So the way they treat other people is a direct reflection of the way they treat themselves. You know, and uh, then I also notice that, especially acting different myself, I notice that there's there's uh, some people that are like me too, where our situations and everything in a lot of cases have gotten weird. You know, sure, drugs may have led to where we're at, but on a prolonged basis for almost everybody I knew that had done drugs that might have ended up where they're at and everything, they'd been clean for years. Most of us can't afford it. You know, so... You know, the, the whole prolonged nature of us, of it being drug-related, is simply untrue. You know, and I'll go so far to say it's 40%. Now, the, for those 40% and everything, it's just like we want to get back to work. You know, we want to contribute. We want to be productive. We we want to do things, you know, for for this country, not only this country, but for this world and everything. We, we believe in the concepts, you know, that are actually presented and the fact that maybe, not necessarily if we work harder, we're, you know, we're going to make a million dollars or anything like that. I mean, that, that boat has sailed clean out that door, you know, for most of us. We're a little bit more realistic than that and just basically saying the system just isn't set, isn't set up for that. It pretends it is, you know, but pff, give us a break. You know, we, we know it's not there, you know. And uh, that realistic nature and approach and everything of, of reality basically says, well, we're not resigning to what reality has you know, shown us and everything. We're just basically saying we're okay with fitting in and understanding that the economy of hope is, is no longer there. It's no longer present. Maybe, maybe never even was. You know, so how how do we, you know, make ourselves better and everything? And and the system in itself has a tendency to constantly, continuously beat us down. You know, so and it's just it seems like it's contrived that way. I mean, whether or not it's the whole, you know, idea of, you know, trying to work harder so I can actually, you know, go out and or work hard on my resume or something like that, and eventually, maybe I can actually, you know, get that job that I'm looking for. Well, I mean, uh, that hasn't panned out in the four and a half years that I've been looking, and I've looked and had nearly a hundred different variations of the resume and everything. So I know it's not just me, you know, especially talking around, around to a lot of people around me and everything. You know, so I know it's not just me. I know that this is a problem that's endemic with the entire system and everything. Well, the system sells hope, and when that hope, when the system fails to actually deliver on that hope on a consistent basis and everything, well, we're left to our own amends to basically make make our lives successful based on what we've been handed. So, anyways, um, I'm thankful. Let's put it this way: I'm thankful for what uh, what's been presented, you know, over here in uh, over in Vancouver, and putting it in contrast to what's been uh, put in place over in Los Angeles. It's 
it's a night and day difference. You know, what's in, in Los Angeles is basically it's a kick to the balls. You know, it's a, hey, you're a, a ghetto motherfucker because you are homeless and, you know, you're not making money. And, you know, this is how we treat people that don't have money. Boom, here's a kick to the balls. You know, we're going to make you feel like shit for asking for money. You know, and... You know, not only that, but we're also going to treat you like a slave and make us aware if you're homeless, you have to come through and you have to make a major process. So as a result, if you're homeless, you know, it's not going to be easy for you, you to keep up the cash benefits because you are doing drugs, aren't you? You must be doing drugs if you're homeless. This must be the logic. Well, if this isn't how they truly think, it's how they have set up the systems. To lead us to, you know, to lead me to believe that there's absolutely no trust in where I'm going to spend the money. You know, and not only that, but it's just it, it, it continues and actually makes the homeless problem grow in Los Angeles. Well, I mean, not to say I haven't seen homeless people up here in Portland. I already have. You know, coming in on the bus, I think that's one thing I've certainly noticed. You know, is um is basically the uh, the the homeless people that uh, were probably here the entire time. I just didn't see them before. You know, I mean, being homeless myself, I definitely pick up on this stuff a lot more and everything. Well. You know, I, I guess it, it just makes me, makes me, it has, it's now my cause, you know. Um, the way I look at it is I don't look at, at me sleeping in a tent and, you know, actually being outdoors and that stuff in, in a negative light anymore. You know, um, I'll be honest with you. If if a couple years down the road I start feeling that I'm burning out or something like that, um, I may take the opportunity and take six months off and actually go sleep in a tent in uh, in Studio City again, just because of the fact that I know it's it's comfortable. I know I know the environment and everything, and not only that, but it, it's also in its way, strange way, um, curative. You know, um, I'm not saying that, to, I mean, I can potentially also find a place over in Florida just for, you know, a scenery change or something like that, or, you know, who who knows where. Maybe I might get acclimated to the temperatures of the Northeast and everything, and or Northwest, and find myself in a place like, uh, no, nah, probably not Chicago, it's too fucking cold, but maybe even D.C., you know, when I w- want to learn more about politics and you know, all that kind of stuff and everything. I mean, hell, I can find, if I found a place to put my suitcase, I might be able to, uh, to go attend, uh, you know, Senate and House set, um, you know, sessions and that kind of stuff firsthand, rather than believing in the shit that's actually going on on TV, go see it firsthand myself and potentially indirectly through, you know, the mind and everything basically influence the sessions by my sheer presence and everything. Um, but all that was standing. It was just like I was very impressed by the facility that was uh, that uh, my brother took me to today over at Vancouver. Now that will get my benefits reinstated here for uh, for Washington, and uh, I'll transfer my benefits. Um, well, it's not necessarily a transfer per se, but more as a uh, just basically me shifting uh, benefits and coming from California to here. So I'll have benefits up here. And um, my friend Stanley, he was being fucking awesome, and he's sending me a brand new. Um, brand spanking new uh, computer that's uh, going to be um, 3D ready and 3D uh, capable. So I, I know already it's, he hasn't told me the specs on it, but uh, with the exception of, I said, well, you know, I said for me to have a gaming system, 16 gigs, you know, definitely need 16 gigs of RAM. I need an Intel processor. Um, I also need, um, what is it? Uh, I was trying to think of what else. It was one other thing I had. Oh, a 15-inch monitor for the portability. You know, I could actually have an external monitor wired up to the thing. 
And he's, uh, he's been doing a lot of uh, machine learning. We've been talking a lot about that because that's actually a lot of my past and everything. And um, he's, you know, he's sending that to me. So I'm just like, oh, geez. You know, so this, this whole charity thing for me is, um, is realizing I did do, you know, throughout my life a, a, lot of, a lot of help and a lot of assistance for people. Um, but I didn't do it in your standard um, recognized chains. You know, I made it a fact to actually help people out on a single type basis. You know, when they wanted to go on a trip to Vegas and everything and they'd never seen the place or something like that, for me, I not only bought them tickets and everything, I bought the hotel, I'd take them out and I'd trade them the entire weekend and everything. And, you know, for me, it was just, uh, it was, I would hang out with them for the entire weekend and everything. For me, I looked at it as an opportunity, you know, spend some time with some people I care about and everything. You know, sure, I looked at it as a potential to get laid on occasion, but, you know, more often than not, it was one of those things that, I mean, a lot of times it was with dudes, so I wasn't looking to get laid with them, you know, but um, I, I realized that a lot, of, a lot of times I, what I ended up doing for charity, um, I'm realizing this more and more, isn't necessarily outright giving to those firms that are named charities, you know, so whether or not it's like the homeless or it's um, cancer or whatever, my idea of charity has been supporting the people around me my entire life. Now, I, um, you know, with the exception of Goodwill, um, Goodwill's the one, one charity that I've given to on a regular basis and everything, and I started doing that a long time ago. So anything that I didn't want that uh, I thought others could find use for because they were still in actually relatively good shape and that kind of stuff, I would make it a fact to actually give that stuff to Goodwill. Um, so that was one place that I ended up doing that with on a re regular basis. Now with my ex-wife Amy, I ended up increasing this a lot more. So rather than doing it, um, you know, on a annual basis, instead I'd take a whole carload of shit there on a uh, on a every six month basis. And a lot of times it was just me getting rid of a lot of the shit that I, that I just didn't have. Uh, we'll put it this way: she definitely helped me clean up a lot of aspects of my life, you know, and. Um, not the least of which was the extra baggage that I was carrying around needlessly. Now, I still had a lot of baggage after that and everything, but, you know, she definitely helped with that. But anyways, coming back to it, um, yeah, so Jason ended up taking me to, uh, you know, to the, you know, to DS DSHS office today. I got the forms and I've got them all filled out and everything, so I'm going to take them back down there tomorrow. And this is the process when it comes down to uh, to signing up for anything, you know, for when it comes down to food support and also to, uh, um, you know, to cash benefit type support. Now, cash benefits and food support, I mean, generally speaking, it's uh, in the neighborhood of 190, 190 to $200. Um, that, that can change by state. And the cash benefits, it's always contingent on whether or not you're actually looking for a job. So I myself, I got the, uh, for the last time over at... Um, over in California, um, they have a psychological assessment form of which I was in a particularly dire mood the, the couple weeks that I went to go sign this up, and I ended up answering the questions pretty truthfully, and it's a point-based system, and I think 15 points is the most that you can get, basically indicating you've got major, major psychological issues that need to be dealt with and everything, and anything over seven is considered major. Um, so I actually scored a 12 and got instant disqualification from working and everything. And, uh, you know, part of it came down to one of the questions that they asked was, uh, are you, um, 
are you uh, suicidal or have you had thoughts about uh, killing somebody? Well, this was at the point, you know, when a lot of this shit that was going on around the park and everything, where I was having literal daily thoughts about, hey, how can I take somebody and where can I hide the damn body and everything? You know, so, I mean, yes, I'm feeling, fuck, not just homicidal, but fucking homicidal. You know, they didn't have a fucking homicidal uh, check mark next to it or anything like that. And, um, you know, when it came down to the suicide, I mean, how many times I've looked at the Universal Building and I've I've uh, devised ways to get past the security guards. As a corporate guy, it's not that hard, to be honest, as a former corporate guy. Um, it's not that hard to look professional and come up with a backstory in order to actually get in. The next thing is actually breaking locks in order to get to the top floor, which uh, there's nothing a, uh, a set of... Uh, of uh, bolt cutters couldn't do, and at that point, I have free access to a 30-story building that uh, I can do a free fall on. Now, now, trust me, I've actually gone through the thought process and considered that more than, more than one time. And at this point in particular, is really when I started, um, you know, I mean, I've tried to commit suicide in the past. The first time I did was, uh, it majorly, was about six years ago. Uh, let's see, no, seven years ago. And um, I've got the scars to, you know, scars as a reminder. And, you know, but uh, part of that was that when I was actually out in the desert where I was seeing, you know, the Terminator world. And uh, I thought my evil twin brother had left me out there and everything. So, you know, I was seeing things that were just blowing my fucking mind. I thought that I was being messed with by something from out of this world and everything. And um, to some degree, I still feel like that's a, you know, the the situation, the considerations behind it were still all possible. You know, but the fact is, I just dealt with that um, in a very um, not healthy way, mentally. And the fact is, I wouldn't do that kind of stuff afterwards. Now, the only time I would actually, you know, actually consider, you know, trying suicide is when I really got so fucking bored with this reality. And at this point, I would basically, basically pull a, a matrix type thing under the belief that if I jumped off of a building, um, it's my belief I'm an eternal, eternally an immortal being anyways. And it's my belief that what I saw in that desert that day was basically my mind's way of saying, okay, we're, we're leveling up and we're basically saying, you know, we're going to be showing some understanding some new things about the universe and everything, you know, and, and uh, the building's kind of like a, a stage two. You know, so let's say 10 years, 10 years or, or so down the road, I'm finding myself um, miserable, I'm finding myself bored, and uh, I'm finding myself without options. You know, when it comes down to it, um, I've already thought this through, and basically it comes down to it. it's not suicide to me. You know, it might appear to somebody, especially if I'm successful uh, or unsuccessful, <laughs> it might appear like it is suicide. But for me, jumping off of a, of a tall building like that... Um, I have the absolute belief that if I did, that the universe itself and that this world would respond by either enabling me in that moment with the capability to, to fly. Um, there's a movie called Jumper where instantly, boom, that, that kid who was dying underneath the, uh, the water due when he was uh, suffocating everything, he was teleported inside the library. Um, it's my belief that if I was to put myself in a position like that where I'm jumping off that building, um, where my life was literally being threatened, you know, and there was literally no other options other than plummeting to the ground and everything at, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour plus or something like that. Well, you know, at that point, it's just like, 
you know, my body and my mind would have no choice but to respond, particularly if it hadn't been responsive for the next 10 years and everything as I tried to engage in magic and the supernatural and trying to learn and teach myself these things. So the way I look at this is, you know, that option in itself is an option. You know, it's not, you know, if I didn't succeed, it might look like a suicide, a suicide attempt, you know, but if I did succeed, you know, um, I can potentially find myself, you know, being able to learn in that instant how to fly like Superman. You know, um, it could be like the Matrix, where all of a sudden I find myself bouncing off the pavement and everything where nothing happens to me. You know, um, the worst consequence I can think of is the fact that I simply impact the ground, you know, and the universe basically devises a way for me to never do it again and make me a quadriplegic and punish me for it. You know, but I like to think that the universe is kinder than that. You know, I like to think that the universe, um, especially knowing that I have the intention of doing this, um, provided, you know, that I'm hoping that the universe will, with me saying this publicly over a podcast and everything, the universe will start to sit there and say, okay, you know, um, he doesn't want to do this, and I don't. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to challenge my own body and the universe around me, you know, to basically put myself in this position and everything. And, and while I've thought about it a lot, you know, it's not something I want to do because I'm not interested in challenging the universe and the physical constraints of, uh, of physics and reality itself at that point. I kind of like the construct. However, what I am interested in is basically knowing, you know, that uh, over the next period of, let's just say, I mean, I don't have a period of time. I just know that I get bored. And when my mind and body starts getting bored, I just, all of a sudden, I, I get to that point like I was right before I ended up taking off where... I get to the point where I just don't fucking care, you know, and when I get to that point, you know, with life as it stands right now, especially if life isn't going to reward me, you know, if it's not going to start giving me some of the things that I want, want to, well, in particular, when it comes down to the financial, uh, you know, financial benefits and that kind of stuff and some of the things I've worked so hard for. Well, inevitably, if I keep going about this for the next two, three, four years and everything, and this continues happening, you know, then at that point in time, that could potentially accelerate things, you know, just basically make it so where I don't want the, the life that's been handed to me. I'm not interested in the life that continuously, you know, ends up, you know, taking away the things that I want, you know, and, and, make, and b making me believe that these things are sacrificable when they're not, you know, um, i I'm not interested in harming myself, you know, and flat out not interested in harming myself. So it is my convicted belief that if I'm at the point of physical boredom, physical and intellectual boredom and everything, and I don't have any other outlets, you know, that are really going to take me in a, um, in a uh, profound way away from what I'm doing right now, which is kind of living the whole same middle class um, I mean, it, it barely peaked at being upper middle class at one point, but I still worked my my fucking ass for it. You know, now I'm all of a sudden at uh, middle lower class. It's just like when it comes down to classes, I'm tired of busting my ass just for absolutely fucking nothing. You know, for barely the means to be able to make it by. And you know, sure, while I love my family and my friend, uh, you know, my friends, which I mean. <sighs> I'm not going to go there, you know, but while I love having my family around, what I, what I also enjoy more is being able to 
go do the things I want to, you know, on a regular basis and everything, and um, to some degree in, a, in an indulgent way, you know, in a self-indulgent way, and, and potentially inviting others with me along the, pro the path, too. Now, I, I've seen the fact that I've learned a lot, you know, and enjoy who I've become, you know, through this homeless experience. So, as a result, I do have some patients that have actually been put in there, which could potentially prolong this whole process and everything for me, you know. But in the end, when I feel like I'm devoid of options and everything, um, the whole concept of jumping off of a, a, a off of a probably it won't be off a building. It'll probably just be be me going in, into commandeering a little Cessna 172 or something like that, and then ditching it over over water from about uh, 3,000 feet high and and uh, just going jump, jumping without a uh, parachute. So I know that that altitude, I can get myself uh, quite a bit of velocity doing a dive straight first, and there's not going to be this issue uh, with that kind of impact and everything of walking away at all, being a, a quadriplegic or anything like that. I dive head first into concrete at 300 miles an hour, I ain't going to be surviving that. And uh, the intention isn't to ensure my lack of survival. Um, the The intention is to actually wake up a part of me um, that has the capability to become, to help me become something that uh, has been a product of uh, fiction and science, uh, science fiction and fantasy. And uh, that's Q. So I'm not, I don't believe in my heart, I don't believe that I will that my mind and my body will let me die. That's being absolutely sincere. I absolutely do not believe that that's even possible when I, when I decide to take that route. I just flat out don't believe it. So I do, do believe that my belief is strong enough that uh, I'm going to realize my immortality in that instant and something's going to happen with my brain you know, that's going to trigger those things. You know, and potentially, because the, I'm aware that the universe around me is simulating all things at all times, the universe may actually find a way to more politely and more delicately um, provide this to me without actually having to potentially threaten those around me in the process by, by a plane that's actually, you know, I've jumped out of or something like that. I mean... I'm putting it out there just because of the fact that I'm trying to actually make sure that the energy's out there, you know, to basically say one way or another, you know, I will um, pursue something that will involve, you know, plummeting and in an uncontrollable fashion. And since I do not have the capability to fly, you know, and I also don't have the capability to be able to teleport, um, there's nothing that is actually going to keep me safe um, that I'm currently capable of doing if I, you know, when I take that route. So, in any case, um, I don't know why I belabored that so much. Maybe I just needed to get the energy out there and everything to let the world know. So, other than that, um, ended up uh, relaxing the last couple days, you know, a little bit more than anything. I got the forms for the DS DSHS, and I'll be taking those back in with my brother tomorrow. Um, I've got a new computer coming in, and... He says it's coming in, uh, you know, sometime soon. So I'll be looking for that to arrive. And 
I'll be uh, busting out, and I just did pricing on the virtual reality stuff and everything, and saw that the uh, Oculus uh, for the PC is running $400. So once I do get some of the cash benefits in, I'll uh, probably take uh, what I'm leaving for myself. I told my mom I'd take a third of uh, what I get for the cash and put it in towards household expenses, and the other two thirds are going to go towards my expense, you know, towards things that I want to get for myself, you know. So it could be clothing, and it could be you know, an Oculus VR after a couple months or whatever, so, other than that, um, I'm, it's been nice sleeping on, in the indoors without hesitation, and, uh, having a couple little mutts around, one of them, Freckle, she's, a uh, adorable, she's just a, a little bit of a mutt, and, you know, she's just, um, I don't know, I don't know what kind of dog she is, but she's my brother's dog, and she's just adorable, so I've been, feed him her a piece of chicken or or not a chicken a, of turkey or you know the yeah, sandwich uh, turkey or or cheese so i don't know i'm a nerd with all that stuff but i'm i'm ac you know slowly but surely getting acclimated up here um the one thing i will say about uh, comparing los angeles uh besides of course the the welfare type support and the lack utter lack of support and everything is the uh the overall feel of places now if you're driving around in the LA area um a lot of the buildings and everything are are just really kind of straight out of the 60s and 70s they haven't really done any decor changes and well I'm going to give um North Hollywood kudos for the changes that they're making I think somebody may be here. Well, I'm going to give North Hollywood kudos for the uh, changes that they've been making, especially with uh, some of the making more upscale restaurants and that kind of stuff and, you know, and um, renovating the, the fronts of the buildings and also going through and doing the um, some of the nice trendy casino or, uh, houses uh, and apartments and everything over in that area. Personally, I think that's awesome. And I think um, that's one of the things I loved about living in Scottsdale was I felt good when I actually drove down the street and I saw nicer buildings and everything. I saw, you know, like nicer Starbucks where I'd walk in and they've got this, uh, you know, nice tile that you walk inside to. Um, you know, they pay attention to the decor. It's... Um, Every single, it wasn't just Starbucks either, it was just every single place had, had some kind of flair going on with it, whether or not it was a, a club called Sapphire where they had this uh, brick exterior um, with this, you know, cool wave that they had made up front, and uh, they also had this uh, these two fire things that were shooting fire into the air a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it's like going to some of the clubs up in Las Vegas where they've got one wall that's completely made of fire and water. You know, so there's a water fountain with... Freckles! So I had a friend that was, uh, you know, talking to me today, um, asked me briefly, David, about uh, Las Vegas, and the answer is yes. It's fucking annoying. Not Las Vegas, the dog. Hold on a second. You, shush. Is anybody here? Why are you barking? Nope. You. So 
so one of the things I, I, I love about Vegas is not just the food and the buffets. Or food and buffets and the entertainment in, in Vegas is par none. But the decor, like uh, you go to the Venetian, you go to um, Mirage Hotels on the interior, you go to Treasure Island and see the pirates and all that kind of shit out front. You go to the Bellagio Hotel, and you see these awesome, awesome um, fountains that are out front, you know, that are actually all timed on this really cool timer and everything. You see the Paris Hotel and, you know, the miniature size um, Eiffel Tower that they have out front. Um, I mean, the, the attention to detail that Vegas has done on making such a phenomenal, awesome customer experience is for me it's it's one of the the coolest places to go in the world from an architectural perspective you know um it's just the type of thing that uh well my buddy ricardo he ended up making one time it's it's gotti you know i'm just like going dude have you ever been because i asked him that it's just like have you ever actually been how can you say it's gotti without actually going there yourself and he didn't want to i mean it's just like for him it was you know I think uh, the comment was Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm just like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, grow the fuck up. But um, for me, I mean, it's just like between the architecture, between the places to eat and the food, um, or you know, places to eat and food are syn synonymous. Um, it, it's not just about gambling in Las Vegas, but it's just about the whole experience. You know, now, sure, you can get yourself a prostitute or, you know, a blow anywhere that you want to and everything, and it's relatively easy. And the police force are actually really cool there, you know, about letting letting people enjoy their experience and everything, but just basically controlling the chaos. That's that's what Vegas does extremely well. And I will give them kudos for that. You know, just they've done a phenomenal job in basically making all that stuff accessible safely without actually, you know, making it so where people will, become destructive to themselves and to others and everything. So I, I love Vegas, you know, for that. Now, one of the things I, especially living in Scottsdale and everything for so long, um, I paid attention to the whole um, pretentious and snooty lifestyle and everything. And I've, I've loved parts of it, and there's parts of it that I don't love. You know, now the parts that I love about it are certainly, you know, when it comes into walking into a place and actually knowing that a part of a part of the ostentatiousness and everything about it is that the that the facilities are always clean. You know, so you walk into a Starbucks and and you know when you go to the bathroom and everything, you're not going to see graffiti on the walls. Flat out, you'll never see graffiti's on the wall, graffiti on the walls, and in, inside a inside a Starbucks over in Scottsdale or something like that. You know, um, it's literally the thing that they'll address. You know, within within hours, you know, of something like that happening. Now, this isn't to say this kind of shit doesn't happen there or anything like that. You know, but that's actually what I love about particularly the North Scottsdale area. You know, Kierland and all, along with that kind of stuff and everything too. Well, you get the same kind of uh, feel a little bit over in uh, places like. Uh, Beverly Hills or, um, you know, places like that. And, you know, I like it when when a, a place, um, a location actually cares about its appearance to others, you know, that it, it takes a lot of the things that, uh, you know, that they know that actually affects the, the impact of how people feel about it. And um, they know when something's negative, and they know how to actually basically say, okay, you know, it's time for, you know, we've got to find a way to manage this and everything. And uh, a lot of cases, that's, you know, Scottsdale has worked a little bit on exclusivity. 
you know, so where it's just like you're not a part of the area cut if you can't actually, you know, understand it. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm maybe taking a little bit far on that, but I, th I think it's within the realms of possibility and everything. But um, I, I love, you know, the, the whole overall um, look and, and the fact that you have a predictable, predictable atmosphere, you know, in most places that you go to. And, you know, the facilities are, are basically not just clean, but, you know, they've got a brand new, you know, cutting edge tile and, and technology that they've used for pretty much putting everything together and everything, too. So the construction and everything is just, you know, typically out of this world for most, most of these places over in Scottsdale and everything. You know, and it comes down to you drive down the street for pretty much any street north of Camelback. Back. And uh, you're going to see relatively brand new facilities. Not only that, but um, you're also going to see, um, even for the facilities that have been there quite a while and everything, um, they, they regularly go through facelifts and make themselves look better and everything. Well, you know, the same thing um, could potentially you know, hold true for, for the more expensive areas and everything, particularly closer to the studios. Now, here's the thing that I, that was my gripe about, uh, about the movie studios. You've got Warner Brothers and you've got Universal Studios, arguably two of the most influential studios in the world. And um, right down the street from these facilities, you have some of the most ghetto, nasty shit that, uh, that can be happening anywhere in the world. Now, I would think that if you're a head of a movie studio, working at these movie studios and everything, that not only would you care about the movies that you're producing, but you would also care about the community that uh, that most of your people are actually interacting with on a regular basis and everything. You know, so, and here's, a, here's an example. Um, there was a uh, couple, quite a few people I used to meet over at the park, over at South Weddington Park on occasion when I first got there. And uh, I would sleep out, uh, you know, sleep in, in the back like I, like I was up until about three days ago and everything. And uh, the first sets of people that I got to meet were, um, two of them worked on the set of, um, oh, what's that Sheldon show? Uh, the Big Bang Theory. And uh, another one worked on... Um, oh, there was another show that was like that too. Anyways, Big Bang Theory is the one that sticks out in mind and everything. So you have these guys that are coming out and, and uh, on the way, just on the way over to the park and everything, um, they, they would pass by, you know, two, three different uh, camps, you know, that were right near them and everything. And in addition to that, you also had, you know, people like me that, you know, would hang out in the park and everything. Well, I'm not saying get rid of me, you know, but I'm saying, you know, it, it behooved the leaders of these organizations to actually understand what's going on in the community and and understanding you know that uh that the the things that your people when they're going off site you know or those that actually choose to live within the direct vicinity which there's a lot of lifers that are actually working at these studios and everything that might choose to li live within two miles of these places. Well, might even choose to live within walking distance. So we're, this is actually, you know, within half a mile. And yet you have some of the, you know, some of the worst, um, worst looking facilities in the world and everything. Um, I mean, absolute ghetto type nature and everything. And uh, these are the places that your own employees are actually spending their time at during the off hours or during lunch times and that kind of stuff. Well, I, in my opinion, if you're actually not not understanding the psychological nature of how the mind links to um, links to the things that you're exposed to on a regular basis and everything, and at that point it 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 creates and develops that end product and influences that end product. 
in profound ways. If you yourself are not cognizant and aware on a regular basis of those of those influences, you know, and how potentially, even though it may be only five to ten percent of the people that you've got working for you that are exposed to this stuff on a regular basis, those five to ten percent of people can actually influence the entire product in a very, very negative way. You know, so with the the whole prevalence of of um, ghetto homelessness and everything occurring within the direct vicinity of these movie studios, and not only that, but with the neighborhoods, the lack, utter lack of attention to basically help these businesses renovate, you know, to pr- maybe even provide them money to, to renovate and everything. I think there's a major problem, a major disjoint between these movie studios and understanding um, that the product that they're delivering and their capability to deliver product is actually being badly impacted by the fact that they're actually not paying attention to the neighborhoods, um, neighborhoods around them, and and thus the end customer of which uh, what they're actually you know who's actually consuming the product of of what they're uh, what they're selling. In the end, what happens is when they fail to support the local communities with the profits that they're actually reaping and everything, when they fail to support the local community with those profits, and in addition to that, they're uh, they're also um, they're they're not making any attempt to actually build up the local communities. In the end, what happens is the end product suffers, and as a direct result, the end pro- the end profit suffers as a result as well. Now, here's the thing. All they have to do is do exactly what's going on with North Hollywood right now. You know, is take the incentive. Understand that by going through and building up this one corridor and everything and, and elim- eliminating the 70s decor, you know, and basically updating it, leveraging recent technology, um, recent uh, trends and colors and that kind of stuff, um, Twenty updating it to 2010, um, at the very least, uh, you know, 2015 um, front and everything for these places. Not only that, but making sure the interiors of these brand new places and everything match the standards of some place that you actually might find over in Scottsdale. Now, I'm not trying to say you use Scottsdale as a model, but what I am saying is understand that the, the prices for these apartments and everything, um, they're the most expensive um, in the world. And if you're not actually giving value to the people that are actually living there by basically increasing um, by increasing the, the, the way that they feel, by making them feel better, well, at that point, you know, and that's actually what I'm saying is the movie studios themselves and the executives that that work for these movie studios, you know, it's, in my opinion, a part of their responsibility to go out to local restaurants and eat. I mean, literally, you know, go to that hole-in-the-wall $5 burger place and everything and ask yourself, is this psychologically the kind of place that you think is going to provide your customer in the end you know, the, the type of experience. Um, actually, no, no, let's erase all that. Is this $5 experience and everything something that you want to actually see in movies? Sometimes it's going to be. You know, there's a little place called uh, the Hollywood Barn Grill and everything that's um, on the edge of the, uh, um, the river bank, the canal thing and everything. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a dungy dirty-looking establishment and everything, and when you walk inside, it is reeking with an odd, eclectic kind of personality. 
you know, um, it's got its own authenticity that it's really, I mean, it's kind of like a place that bands go to play and everything. And this is the kind of place that I would say doesn't need renovation. It just basically needs honored, you know, and to some degree, maybe the parking lot's fixed around it and that kind of stuff. So, in my opinion, it's the city's responsibility and also the studio's responsibility to basically go through and fix the streets and fix the parking lots for these places. You know, sure, the place can actually have this this feel, you know, that's really kind of like, um, you know, authentic and everything. You know, but when it comes down to it, you know, there's no reason that the clients that go there and everything can't also simultaneously feel like they're going to a place that, you know, that is going to be safe, is going to be protected and everything. You know, and that's that, in my opinion, is what's attracting the homeless people to these areas and everything. Now, what attracted me is simple creativity. You know, I wanted to be able to get creatively inspired. You know, um, I I pursued the whole concept of writing and you know movie making and that kind of stuff. And and I I came to realize over time, and I discussed this before. You know, um, that a big part of the reason that I was there and everything, you know, that I thought I was would be there was would be to actually get into movie making that kind of stuff. And I realized, no, I like watching what others do. You know, whether or not it's um, you know, flaming somebody like uh, Quentin Tarantino and just basically saying, "Dude, can you make something that doesn't have blood and guts flying all over all over the fucking place?" You know, or it's um, you know something like J.J. Abrams and his next epic film and everything, or a McGee, or you know somebody like that. You know, or some unknown unknown person that just rises up and everything through the ranks somehow. You know, um, for me, it's just like I realize that. Um, I, myself, I, I don't want to be in that same space. I respect these guys too much, and, and I don't want to be in the same competition space with them just because I enjoy what they do too much. You know, and, uh, and not to say I, I could even hold a hair to them, but, or a candle to them, you know, but the simple fact of the matter is I don't want to have to, like, work, you know, and do that kind of work and everything that it takes, you know, to be a Steven Spielberg or something like that. I respect these guys, you know, but what I do well is, is with computers. I know that, you know, and, and I've realized that that's my gift, you know, so, and that's actually where I'm taking to the next level and everything at this point. Um, so that's actually what the creative, you know, thing that inspired me. But I'll, I'll go and I'll say that uh, maybe 10% of the homeless people that are actually there um, are hoping to be found by Hollywood and everything just by basic proximity. You know, they put themselves in there in this position and everything, um, in some cases strangely believing that by acting completely outrageous and ghetto and everything that they're going to find themselves in a, in a movie where they can portray this character. Well, in my opinion, it's a fucked up belief system, you know, and uh, in, that, in my opinion, it's among the reasons we need to quit honoring, um, honoring the ghetto, you know, by making more ghetto fucking movies. You know, so the one movie featuring the white guy um, that uh, was, you know, basically playing a ghetto guy and everything, um, in my opinion, that should have been the turning point, point away from our society for basically saying that uh, ghettos is, is, is cool. You know, when you've got a white guy that's trying to actually act ghetto and everything, that, um, I mean, it's just the, the thing, it, it's a fad. That's the way I look at it. You know, it's like the whole Tupac and, you know, badass, you know, shooting uh, and that kind of shit and everything. In my opinion, that's gone the way of the fucking dodo bird, and it needs to. 
um, and it hasn't as much as it should, and that is actually a big part of the reason that you see a lot of the act that goes on around, uh, around that area. These guys are acting. They're acting based on a, a stereotype typical figure they've seen in the movies, and as a result, that's why they act like the thugs that, the thugs that they do. This isn't natural. They're, they've led themselves to believe by the things that they've watched that by acting like this, you're going to find yourself in a movie making a million bucks and having, having whores around you all the time and everything and being able to shower yourself in million-dollar bills. <laughs> I mean, it comes down to the false hope that Hollywood's selling. There's some of us that have just gotten to the point where we just don't believe the bullshit anymore. You know, um... When it comes down to it, if you're interested, truly interested in actually doing something, then start making us believe, you know, through better stories. Quit telling us what to think and start showing us new ways to think. So, anyways, part of the big reason I ended up showing up there was just basically to re-inspire myself creatively. I mean, subconsciously, that was my motivation, was to find a way, you know, to... Uh, to first, you know, just basically do my research and understand Hollywood, you know, from a direct uh, perspective and everything, and getting to listen to writers and directors and all this stuff and some of the rapport that went on and and hearing on a daily basis people talk about um, just the same shit over and over again, you know, where inevitably there's an inflated ego that ends up going on and on and on, you know, and inevitably there's somebody that's a little bit pissed off about the whole situation. It is exactly the same shit that goes on in a corporate world, work in the corporate world that I used to, you know, exactly the same shit that goes on in the movies. That's what I realized. And it's just like, that shouldn't be the case. Flat out shouldn't be the case, and here's why. A movie itself, while it is a technically a corporate produ production, the fact is you, you've got to, in order to present something that's a little bit more amenable, a little bit more meaningful to the public, you know, you got to think out of the box. Now, look at Toy Story. You know, and those kind of movies and everything. The Pixar movies have been doing phenomenal. Now, I didn't get a chance to actually study what they're doing or anything like that. But I get, did get the chance to actually study what, you know, what people that are making Don't Kill It and Dolph Lundgren type movies like that and everything. And while sure, I like actors like that, the simple fact of the matter is we need less movies like that. And we need more movies that have the whole... Um, you walk out of a movie and you actually feel good. Not like you want to beat the shit out of somebody, but you want to feel good. You know, if you're watching a superhero movie, for instance, you know, I've got Iron Man in the background and everything. And one of the weird things about Iron Man was he consistently made you feel good. You know, maybe not necessarily like a Pixar movie, but the fact of the matter is he still consistently kind of made you feel good. You know, he made you feel like anybody could be a superhero. And, um... And and when it comes down to the the normal everyday people and everything, I'm not talking talking you know saying make more superhero movies. I'm ta I'm saying simply, it, quit selling hope as a commodity. You know through the ads and through all that kind of shit. Instead, start start basically portraying more possibilities. You know on the movies and everything. You know and um, 
I don't know. Um, so, long story short, um, I'm my mom's supposed to be back any time now, and uh, I'm going to. I'm gonna relax. I'm you know might might make dinner tonight and everything, but um, I'm settled in here. It's I'm feeling calmer, you know, more confident about things here. It's uh, the interesting thing is uh, about six years ago when I left here. It was 2013 of April when I left here. I had just gone through rehab about three months prior and had been clean for about two months before leaving. And um, among the motivations that I left was just because it was a lack of trust that uh, that was going on between me and my family. And I knew I had been done with drugs, but I knew that I was being questioned on a regular basis about um, about what I was doing. And I just realized that in order for me to heal and actually get away from that person that I was, I actually had to depart and everything and uh, let myself become somebody different and everything. And uh, that was a non-alcoholic um you know, non-drug-using person. Now, I've since, you know, changed that philosophy, altered that philosophy, and just basically said, I'm, I'm never going to say never about things. Instead, going to say, you know, there's some things that may have a time and a place, and I may try things out and everything, just just because. But it's it's at the point where that time, you know, in that place is certainly nowhere near in the future and everything. I look at this as just my my time my time to become a little bit more who I want to be, and um, and uh, also be be there for my parents in the process while they're there for me, you know. So see them in a time and a place and everything in their life where I know me at their age. Um, I have to put this in perspective. I'm going to want family around. I'm going to want to know that my f- the people that I love and that that I care about, you know, that I spent a life, you know, helping them become who they are today. I'd like to know that uh, that they want to be around for me at a time that uh, I may be feeling lonely and a little bit questioning about my own future. So, it makes me feel good being here. I mean, pride was the reason that stopped me for com- from coming up here to begin with. I'll be the first to admit that. For years, I had you know said no and everything just because of the fact that I felt like I was I was um, defeated. But now that I'm realizing, it's not necessarily a matter of defeat. It's a matter of just basically saying, holding out my hand for somebody and and saying. We're in this together. Whether or not we like it or not, whether or not I like it or not, I still need you. So, to anybody that's listening, my friends, my family, the people that uh, that may not be uh, any in in that group and may may someday be in that future and everything, America itself is founded, is predicated on family, Thanksgiving. Christmas, these to me have always been holidays that uh, is about family and friends first. Now, sure, it's been commercialized. You know, Christmas has been commercialized and everything. You know, and um, here's the thing that I've learned about Christmas and being commercialized. It lets everybody else celebrate Christmas with, uh, with people that don't believe in the same belief system. You know, you can just, uh, for whatever purposes that you have, you can share in this holiday if you want to, and this is actually what I, what I learned to you know to share it with, 
is through commercialism. You know, it's a time for me not just to be there. You know, I mean, I, I don't believe in the fundamental premise of, of Christmas and the reason the holiday exists to begin with. But this doesn't mean I don't respect it. And I came to respect it from a commercial perspective. It in itself means it's a time of giving, of trying to, in some cases, figure out what somebody might like, you know, and somebody might want and everything that uh, they may not have thought of for themselves and everything. And it's a time of spending time with your family and basically appreciating the things that, uh, you know, the things that, um, that you love, you know, which is, at least for me, it's, it's part of being a part of something, you know, something that's uh, a little bit bigger than you are in certain ways. It's a part of who you are, right? So I made this uh, little speech and everything over Thanksgiving, but now that I'm here with my parents, it's really kind of hitting home a little bit and just basically making me realize that in all the time that I was over in, over in Studio City in Hollywood, not one single time was I invited to somebody's house you know, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. Not one time. The entire time. Um, sure, I might have some people that might bring me a meal or something like that, but when it came down to it, I was there and I was in it by myself and everything. Now, I didn't really ever feel that way, you know, just because of uh, some of the friends that I did have that, you know, sure, they might bring something over and everything, but not one time, not one single time did somebody actually bring me out for Thanksgiving or, you know, invite me over to their place. You know, sure, I'd hear about people going to do different things and everything, but when it came down to that, them actually uh, providing me or or providing the opportunity for me, nah, it didn't happen. Now, I can be bitter about things a little bit, and I'd feel like that would be justified. But I also have to look at it as an experience. Maybe everything that I was saying about the world and everything is and has been something I haven't fully com comprehended. And maybe this is just a time in my life where I've got to grow up and I've got to quit judging things and people and instead just basically take the time to appreciate what I do have. Right now I got a little do barking, barking dog in the back. She's uh, got a problem with, I think my mom said, Crohn's disease. So that's causing her to lose all her hair and she's, like I said, she's got a little bit of a problem with, um, with peeing all over the place. Got another little dog in here, and I've got a, a little uh, fake fire going and everything. Got Iron Man going on the screen. And the things that I'm appreciative of um, are the fact that I actually, I know what what's possible. You know, I know what exists out there. You know, the scary things, and, you know, I actually told my mom I've, you know, I I hinted at uh, some of the things I know have made me appreciate the things uh, or the the some of the things I know have made me appreciate the world around me more. Just because I know, you know, it's just like probably too much, but enough for me to actually sit there and say, you know what? There's an order about this world. It may be boring. It may be predictable. But I'm rambling. Imagine me drinking. I ramble a lot when I drink.
Anyways, um, yeah, so I'm here. Don't have anything profound to talk about. I've got a uh, kick-ass system coming along. I've got uh, a little code work that, uh, that I'm going to be doing this evening. And besides that, just basically um, go to the DSHS tomorrow and see if I can get those benefits instated pretty quickly and everything and start contributing to the uh, food pool here and the Oculus VR pool and everything. I don't have any plans for the future. I mean, part of the uh, the prerequisites for, for the uh, cash relief is, as I said, it's actually uh, looking for a job. So I will be sending out resumes here and there. It was uh, interesting because I saw a whole shitload of billboards and everything on the way into town and everything that uh, were uh, hiring, you know, type stuff and everything. But we'll see. I mean, I'm being picky about uh, pretty much everything. So, we'll see. Cross my fingers and hopefully uh, something comes out of this this mess. And I'm not really interested in getting a job, but uh, if if I can actually be offered a really kick-ass opportunity, you know, with uh, something doing, I don't know, some kind of, I wouldn't call it research. I honestly don't know what the perfect opportunity would be for me. I mean, I've got the MBA. I've got the... You know, the bachelor's degree in marketing. And I enjoy certainly understanding people. You know, but um, I also like, uh, kind of like being my own boss. And not necessarily having firm deliverables. You know, unless it's my own pet project or something like that. You know, such as this uh, Leisure Suit Larry thing that, uh, that I'm making. Stiletto Susie. I like the idea of that. Uh, one thing I've realized is I like to keep calm. You know, I don't like stress anymore. I used to enjoy it a lot more than I do, but I don't like work-related stress. Let's put it that way. So that's a prerequisite for sure. And high technology. If I can work, that would actually be really cool to do. If I can work with technology... You know, this is the interesting thing about the NSA. While I was given privy, you know, to a lot of the things that they had and everything, the technology that I was still working with and everything was still basically the same shit everybody else is working with. You know, um, the software rise, sure, we had some things that, uh, that nobody has access to and everything. But uh, I'm talking about physical hardware, you know. Um, the only time I ever saw anything was um, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where I did a tour of there shortly after getting released from the uh, from the facility over at uh, Fort Meade. And um, over at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, they took um, a great deal of material that ended up being pulled from uh, Roswell. I think it was I I think it was ninety truckloads they ended up saying of shit that they ended up pulling from the air or from the field out in Roswell. That uh, they had 5,000 soldiers going arm in arm, combing two miles worth of desert and everything, pulling all the material that they found from the crash that occurred out there. Let me assure you, it's not an air balloon, not a, not a meteorological balloon or anything like that. But uh, there's two things that I saw that they had developed uh, based on the technology I'd had, they had had. One was a floating platform. Um, that uh, you can actually, you know, basically is about two inches thick, that uh, appear to be um, defeating gravity. So you can actually touch it on its corner and 
you can lift it uh, at a finger and it would go up to about uh, waist length and you can actually push it and it it pushed and pulled in any direction or everything at uh, more or less the with the fingers very very easy to move and everything and it didn't have anything elevating it that was actually pretty cool so it was like an anti-gravity type type pad that they were using to uh, transport uh, material around and everything so that was one thing that they ended up having over there the other thing that they ended up having that I actually had to dive into was a database um, that was actually pulled from what appeared to be a downed starship and this is part of the reason I ended up adopting the whole uh, moniker of Q um, but basically the date that was actually put on it was 2245 so now they needed me to reverse engineer the technology on on this uh, database because they were having problems decrypting it, and uh, that's actually a little bit of what I worked with and why I was brought in to work on this one one particular thing. They had learned how to actually access it from a hardware perspective, but when it came down to the software, um, they their best experts in uh, cryptology and that kind of stuff couldn't figure it out. So I used an unorthodox approach as I usually do in order to break into it and ended up slicing into it in a way that uh, I completely avoided um, avoided the encryption schemes and actually broke into it through hardware. They didn't expect that. They didn't, uh, they didn't think that was even possible. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a matter of working with... I had spent years building and rebuilding uh, hardware, you know, PC and PCs and that kind of stuff, doing it all myself. So I'd actually built my own machines pretty much when I was uh, started back in 1988, building my own XTs and putting in the graphics cards and actually going through the BIOS. And actually, I was doing a system development um, over at uh, Orbital at first, um, basically doing flashing of EEPROMs, electrical erasable, pro reprogrammable uh, ROMs, um, read-only memory is what they were. But uh, you can actually uh, you can alter at one time and at that point once you flip the pin at that point it uh, became read-only but I also knew that uh, those kind of things also had the capability to be reset and if you knew the hardware configuration you can actually find out uh, how to how to reprogram it and that's what we did was we ended up getting into it from an assembler perspective and and uh, got into this uh, hardware so I can actually get in and at that point start uh, getting into the database and the interesting thing about the database was, despite the fact that this database was, or the system was, the BIOS indicated that it was 2245 and all this technology and everything was taken from a, a starship that had been downed in around the year uh, 2240, uh, 2265, so it was 22 or 20 years after it had been produced and everything. Despite that fact, they ended up um, still using a SQL Server database. So I, I kind of love that. It's just like, huh, interesting. How far in the future does technology go? Well, I later found out some other interesting things about that, but uh, SQL Server itself is a Microsoft product, incidentally. So anyways, um, yeah, that's... Found some interesting information about... Uh, they, they really didn't have any, any great historical records, but they had some great logs and everything, and basically flights and... It, there really wasn't as much interesting as you would think there would be on a uh, on a database, but it was all English based, so that was the interest, the really interesting thing about this. So they thought it was an alien craft, and it, and what what happened with that is it was an alien, you know. So Roswell wasn't truly an alien uh, aircraft; it was basically something that had been transplanted in time. So. 
and how that works is it's it's just weird. It's um this is actually what uh what caused me to d dig into Einstein's relativity and uh, understanding you know the whole relationship that our planet has with time and how that could be possible. Now, that wasn't a part of my duties and responsibilities, obviously, but uh, I ended up digging into it just because of the fact that I was asking questions about it, and those people that were charged with this, which were physicists and you know hardware-based guys and everything, weren't giving the software guys, particularly me, answers. You know, and, and that kind of pissed me off. You know, it's just like, look, you know, I'm just as, uh, just as, you know, in need of answers to these questions. And it's just like, it's not a hard, uh, not a software problem. It's a hardware problem. And I'm just like, bullshit. You've got SQL Server that's actually on this database from the year 2265. You know, um, I'd like to know what's going on and actually how this is created and everything. You know, and and why. You know, but. Anyways, long story short, um, I wasn't given authority and everything to do the investigations that I did, but we did have a relative authority for whatever research that we wanted to do, and basically we were allotted 20% of our time was uh, allowed to be done for uh, research and in whatever, whatever we wanted to do, and uh, we weren't giving any, any real boundaries or limitations on what that research was, and we had full access to all the data and information and everything at the NSA's disposal to do that research. So while most of the other guys were taking the time to research porn and um, spy on lovers and that kind of stuff, I myself, I, I didn't. Sure, I'd, I would pull down porn on occasion, but I would make it a fact not to look up any of my friends or family or anything like that, especially family. Um, but friends or girls that I was interested in and everything, they, they to me were always off limits, personally. So... In any case, um, no, I just, uh, it was one of those things that uh, it, with a lack of real other options, I just basically made it a fact to, you know, put my ear to the ground and start to try, start to try, or start finding different answers from a, a software perspective on uh, why the, some of the stuff was, was the way it is. So, in any case, um, that right there ought to, you know, so as much as the uh, as the military and the uh, government uh, has said that it wasn't aliens, they weren't lying. It was a half truth, mind you. So the the half truth is basically uh, it's it's more or less indicative of the the real real answer. How can something from twenty two sixty five appear in present day and crash? You know, and uh, why would it crash? And that was actually my biggest responsibility. You know, is does the uh, flight recorder have any of this information? And um, and uh, it didn't have any obvious information that was logged in it, other than some of the uh, things that uh, didn't make sense chronologically. And uh, that's actually what what started me down the path of actually believing it was a software issue. And at that point, that's when I discovered some things about relativity that uh, that most uh, physicists I don't think have a fucking clue about. So, Einstein's relativity isn't the only game in town. That's what I learned from all that. But you have to understand that uh, chronology and you know the record keeping from a binary, discrete perspective isn't uh, isn't necessarily reflective of reality. Here I go rambling again, but. I um that's actually so going back to the job thing. If I could have a job doing working on with technology, like I'm watching Iron Man right now and uh he's got technology in his body or you know with the suit and everything that you know it's not common. 
you know, if I can actually do that kind of stuff, research that kind of technology, or hell, just actually put put together some of the stuff. I mean, hell, if I had the opportunity to, you know, create a, a TARDIS for myself, you know, with and privately, fuck yeah, I'd be there in a heartbeat. You know, if I had the capability to be able to, I don't know, I, I just, I, I suppose I want to learn more about hardware. So working for organizations that are actually wanting to do hardware that are combined with software, I think would be so fun. Magic. Creating magic with technology. I think that's actually what I want to do. process I want to go down. So, but how to do that? I don't know. So, anyways, uh, I'm going to be forced to be looking for a job, and that's uh, certainly something I'm going to be doing. I like the end scene for this movie. The kid that he meets, the first one, he uh, completely redoes his lab and pimps it out. Potato gun mark too. I don't know. I think that's a that's actually one thing for sure. I would actually want to get more into. It's being put into a situation where I can start working on the physical devices of technology. I'm not talking about some kind of like um, tricorder or something like that. That's fucking boring. I'm talking about propulsion devices you can actually wear on your feet. I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know, tiny little rockets. Wormholes. That you can create. You can put one device at one end, you can fly to the other end, and you can have all your friends visit you instantly on the other end. All these things could be pretty cool. James Bond cars. You know, to be able to outfit a car with James Bond type technology and everything. I don't know. There's a lot of things like that that I uh, wouldn't mind playing with. But I think my, my career direction is probably heading more in the, uh, in the direction of hardware than it is uh, software. It's funny Iron Man comes on. Did it influence those thoughts or were those thoughts there before Iron Man came on? We'll see you tomorrow when I wake up. Anyways, um, thank you for listening as usual and happy.